Let's turn together to those words that you heard read today by Brother Whiffen from Romans chapter 15 today. I would invite you to go ahead and um, open up your device or your physical Bible, whatever you have today. I'm just uh, wanting to move that table because I'm feeling like I'm going to move a little bit today. So I'm just getting ready. I'm not sure about that, camera people, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to be good. But that table sometimes feels like it's encroaching on me. Why are you here today? So good to see each one of you today, smiling face. Why don't you just kind of look around the people right around you and just say this to them. Peace be with you. Go ahead and do that. And you know what the response is, right? And also with you, right? I get a text from my brother-in-law, Tom, every Sunday. In fact, today's Tom's birthday. And every Sunday I get a, a text from him and it says, peace be with you. And I usually give him a little sermon back. And <laughs> it's just an occupational hazard of being a, the brother-in-law of a preacher, I guess, but. But why are you here today? Why are you here? See, that's a question that our Advent theme um, kind of imposes on each and every one of us. We all need to answer this question of why we are here today. Oh, come let us adore him. This theme is is not intended to just be some um, movement of the heart, some emotion of the heart. It's not intended just to affect some holiday glow. That's not really the, the purpose of it, the intention of such a theme. It's not just about stirring emotions. Why are you here today? Not just about stirring emotions, not just about satisfying preferences, but rather about an encounter with the living God that actually changes us. But how does it change us? How does adoration change us? Well, to get at that, here's the temptation that we need to address. The temptation is very well stated by Stephen Machia when he says this, we become consumers of blessings rather than worshiping God in spirit and truth. It's either amen or oh me, right? But that's a temptation when it comes to worship. That's a temptation when it comes to a gathering like this, week in and week out. We become consumers of blessings rather than worshiping God in spirit. And when that is the case, we answer the why question differently. The why question becomes, well, how is this blessing me? Or what am I getting out of this? Or is this the music that I want? Or is that sermon feeding me? Or is this making me feel better? Because you see, when we transfer the consumer discipleship we embrace from our world to the idea of worship, like in other places, we are never satisfied, we are never content, we become complacent, and you know what? We do not find peace. Adoration is a corrective to that. And the reason it's a corrective to that is because it says no to a complacency that's rooted in just me, and it turns us toward communion with God. Because the true reason we're here, the true reason we're here is the true reason we live. It's all about God. 
adoring God. Come let us adore him is why we are here. No other reason. And in adoring God as God, we find that hope, peace, joy, and love become choices made as a result of adoring God. Last week, we talked about the courageous choice of hope. And it is courageous. This week, we talk about a radical choice. I don't know if there's ever been a time in, our, in my life when this is more radical of a choice. It is the choice of peace. I want you just for a moment to yourself answer this question or finish this statement. To me, peace is. Just finish that in your mind. As we embrace this radical choice, let's begin here. Let's begin with a peace with God. Peace may be the most mischaracterized and misappropriated Advent aspiration. You need to be very careful with what you mean by peace. The angel's proclamation of heaven's desire was peace on earth, goodwill toward men. But I have a question for you. Where is it? You may not get the chance, but if you can, there's a little film that came out. Thanks, Anne, friends, for letting me know. I heard the bells. It's limited. It's like out there till this week, Wednesday, the end of the week. No, there's some, there's some theaters that I've checked on. Till Wednesday, just got to drive a little bit. You need to go see it. That's where my wife and I went for my birthday was to see that movie. Remember these words? And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Where is it? I think those words, many would say, yeah, that's, that's our world. Chris Hodges is a journalist, and he studied war over the course of the last 3,500 years. And he discovered that out of that 3,500 years, there were only 274 years where there was an absence of conflict and war in the world where there were 1,000 or more people killed in conflict. Only 274 years out of 3,500 where that had not happened. 92% of our history the last 3,500 years have been marked by conflict and war. So, only 274 years of peace on earth. So, so where is it? Some of you know the name Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman has found fame questioning what the Gospels tell us about Jesus. He was once asked, what would it take to get you to believe in Jesus? What a great question. What would it take your loved ones to get them to believe in Jesus? Someone asked that of him. His answer was simple and revealing. He said, if Jesus fulfilled his promise to bring peace on earth, then he'd believe in Jesus. So I have some questions. 
Has the angel's proclamation gone unfulfilled? Did God miscalculate? Did the Almighty Almighty miss the mark? Was peace on earth, I mean, was that just too, too big of a task, even for God? I remember sitting, I, I could see the living room and I could see my father. And I remember I was, um, I was a young pastor. I think I still am a young pastor, but I, I was actually a young pastor. And I remember we were visiting there, 6 Judy Road, Suncasana, New Jersey, 07876. How amazing that you remember crazy stuff like that, right? And I remember, I remember sitting with my father And I forgot where the conversation was going, but I remember his question. A question spoken with cynicism and pessimism. And he said this to me. He asked me this. And my family calls me Jeffrey. So it was Jeffrey. Do you think peace on earth is possible? And I think because I was a pastor, I think he assumed I would say, well, of course, yes, Dad. But this is how I answered. I'll never forget. I said, no, Dad. I don't think peace on earth is possible as long as people are not at peace with God. There will be no peace on earth. It's why Romans 15 are words for us, those words that Bob so beautifully read for us earlier. Do yourself and myself, do us all a favor, and at some point today, read that text again, Romans 15, 4 through 13. And you can go through the whole chapter, actually, because context matters. But let us just get right to the key of it. Verse 13. This is the word of the Lord for you and me today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. All of Romans 15 is rooted in the deep love of God and deep love for God and others. But here in verse 13, Advent explodes out of that love. Remember those aspirations of Advent? It's all right here. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. The God of hope wants to do something at the depth of our souls, at at soul depth by the power of his spirit. As we wait on him, as Advent teaches us, we wait on God. He wants to fill you. He wants to fill me. The word there literally means filling in such a way that one more drop and it's going to overflow. It's the idea of abounding. It's the idea of flourishing. Hope, joy, peace because of love. Who does not want to be filled with peace? If you don't want to be filled with peace, peace, raise your hand. And if you raise your hand, I don't know what I'm going to do. (laughs) But I might just get some of those big ushers, (laughs) take you out there and talk to you or something. Who does not want to be filled with peace? It describes everything we want in life. I was thinking about this. I don't know why I was thinking about this earlier today. But I should count all the funerals I've done in 34 years. Because not at one funeral 
or when someone was getting ready to die, have they said to me, you know, man, I wish I had more of this. Or man, I, I wish that, you know, I had accomplished this. They're either living in peace or longing for peace. Who doesn't want that? It really describes everything in life, but this is where we've misaligned it. And that's the proper term. We've misaligned it. We've misaligned peace with positive feelings, pleasing circumstances, and peaceful conditions. Yet the Prince of Peace did not come to create it's a wonderful life kind of storybook existence. He came, ready? The Prince of Peace came to conquer. Romans 15, 12, we heard these words, the root of Jesse will spring up. One will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. You see, the Prince of Peace came to decimate anything that hinders shalom. The Prince of Peace came to conquer the most rebellious, potentially the most violent, and the most disruptive of all governments. He came to conquer the most disruptive and rebellious of governments. And the Bible describes that government. Jesus describes that government. Here's how Jesus describes it. The things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. Peace on earth does not begin by eliminating global war zones. Peace on earth does not begin by removing the power-hungry politicians and governments from the halls of power. It doesn't begin with ending the violence on the streets. City of Nashua, we just had a man shot and killed downtown. doesn't end there. Peace on earth doesn't begin with ridding abuse from the home or polarization in the church or the excruciating poverty that wrecks our world. It begins in each heart that holds the potential for war. And this is what we all need to know. That's your heart and that's my heart. Every war Every act of violence, every abuse of power, in whatever form, begins in someone's heart. Or it begins in the hearts of someone's. It doesn't just happen. In his little book on searching for Christmas, J.D. Greer writes this, Here's a secret. Horizontal dysfunction very often goes back to a vertical disconnect from God. In other words, we don't see the peace of God in our lives and in our world, the horizontal aspect, because we do not enjoy peace with God, the vertical aspect. But you remember I said that the Prince of Peace came to conquer. Well, how does he do that? Well, the, the text tells us, these wonderful words from Romans tell us, 
in verse 7. The, the New Revised Standard puts it this way, Welcome one another, therefore just as Christ has welcomed you. For the glory of God. Doesn't sound like conquering words, does it? But much of the angst and the fear and the loneliness and the fighting, you know, and the anger and the rage and the division comes from the fear of not being known or welcomed or accepted or valued or validated. It's a pretty amazing to me that the Bible gets it right just all the time. And when we hear in 1 John that perfect love casts out fear. I can't help but think that God inspired John to write those words because at the heart of just about, no, not just about, at the heart of every conflict is some fear. And yet, here's the conquering Jesus. Welcome one another, just as in Christ you're welcomed. You are welcomed by God through Christ. Greer goes on and says, you are accepted in the eyes of the only person whose opinion ultimately matters. Amen. It's a good word. In Jesus, we are brought into peace, and that changes everything. And so I must ask you today, do you know this today? Do I know this today? See, this is the truest of scandals. This is the truest of the scandals of God. We're welcomed into a relationship with God, not based on how exceptional we are, not based on how righteous we are, not based on how we have our act together so well, not based on how we look, not based on what we have, not based on what we own, not any power we have. We're welcomed just because God loves us and welcomes us. We're welcomed by God because of Jesus. You can't get there without him. And so Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Amen. Can't work your way to it. You can't buy your way into it. You can't control your way into it. You can't force your way into it. You can't do that. The promise of God's shalom for the world is for every single person. That's why I love when you get to the book of Revelation, you get to the book of Revelations and you see this beautiful, beautiful people of God from every nation and tribe and tongue, language. It's for every person. Romans 15 echoes Zechariah's song that describes the first Christmas. Because of the tender mercy of our God, the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of peace. The Messiah longed for the Savior that is still needed is the path of peace. So how do we get on the path of peace? How do we get there? How do we choose the path of peace? Well, here, let's start there. Let's start with a question we all have to ask ourselves, and it's this. Do I have peace? 
Not a cessation of hostilities. Not an absence of conflict. But do I have the depth of shalom, this this wellness in God? It is well with my soul. Do I really have that? A peace within which cannot be touched by attacks on external peace. A peace which passes understanding as the Scriptures calls it. That's the Bible. That's the Scripture. That's what God wants for us. He wants to fill us with all joy and peace. Is that true or not? And if it's not, give me something else. Because I want peace. So how do we choose it? You see, it's what Jesus wants for us. Do you remember when Jesus was walking into the city and he looked over Jerusalem? Do you remember what his first response was? He began to cry. He began to weep, right? And then he tells us why, the Bible tells us why Jesus was crying. Luke 19, 41 and 42. Why was Jesus crying? He said, if you, even you, had known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. You know what they were missing? Was they were looking right at peace. If you only, if you, if you only realized that that peace is right in front of you. Is there a text that better describes both the longing and the absence of peace? Because we often look for peace in all the wrong places. Ask yourself this question along with me. Am I looking for peace in places I'm actually not going to get it? We look for peace in all the wrong places, but it is the God of hope and only Him who can bring peace. The hope of a rest with God. Elsewhere, Paul writes this in Ephesians, Remember that formerly you were separate from Christ, without hope and without God in the world. I remember that time. I remember that time in my life too well. When I was without God and without hope. Do you? But then he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, DeFranza, you who were way out there, DeLoretto, you who were way out there, Andrew, you who were way out there, Kirstead, you who were way out there, Carter, you're, you were way out there, man. Whiffin, we couldn't find you. You were way out there. Personalize it. The text says you were far away, but you have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace. So no matter where you are on the journey of life, Jesus welcomes every longing heart. We no longer have to walk in this world without hope and without God. This is peace that does not depend on positive feelings and pleasant circumstances and peaceful conditions. It is rooted in one choice. One choice. Jesus. Are you at peace today? Where do you need to find peace on this day? Don't say to me, well, Pastor Jeff, I asked Jesus into my life and I prayed a prayer 20 years ago. No, 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 no. I did too, 30-something years ago. 41 years ago. But what about today? You see, Jesus saves and he keeps saving. Jesus converts and he keeps converting. Jesus sanctifies and he keeps sanctifying. 
Jesus gives peace. He fills us with peace. And he keeps filling us with peace. Where is it today that you need Jesus? And maybe today, for the first time, you need to just recognize and say, Jesus, I've been looking for peace in all the wrong places. Jesus, come and be my peace. You say, wait a minute, I'm not, I'm not asking him to be my Savior. I'm not, asking, I'm not praying the right prayer. No, 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 just he is, he is our peace. Just ask Jesus to come and be your peace. Jesus himself. Trust him to be your peace right now. You see, it all begins with a peace with God. But directly related to the nature of my relationship with God is a second willful choice, and that is the choice to be the peace of God. I think it's out of print now, but Donald Gowan wrote this like notebook, workbook on shalom. It's, it's like a whole 60 pages. It's one of the best things I've ever read. I read it years ago on what shalom really means. He said, peace is not only a gift of God, but also something at which his people have to work. We don't just accept it, we must also do it. So as we choose peace with God, we carry the peace of God to the world. And what a word that is for us today in this toxic world where we are so easily accommodating the lack of peace. Now hear it, even in God's name. Where we are so readily willing to accommodate and excuse the lack of peace. Even sometimes in God's name. That's convicting to me. Writing that sentence out in my notes. I had to ask myself, okay, DeFrance, what about you? You see, the heart of the entirety of Romans 15 is the longing of peace among all peoples. It helps us see why this peace is essential, why the heart is the battleground that Christ must first conquer for peace on earth, goodwill toward men to be a choice we each make. But a question I have then is if I make that choice, well, what does choosing peace look like? What does it look like? <clears throat> the text answers for us. In the first seven verses, here are some of the words. We who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Hear that. It doesn't say we're to bear with the weak. It doesn't say we're to bear with you know, their problems. Or It just says we are to bear with the failings of the weak. And we do not do well in bearing with others' failings. We're much more prone, aren't we not, to point them out. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself. Other words, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other, that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then those words from verse 7, accept one another just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. You see, adoration of God, as we see, is directly connected to our desire, our efforts, and our consideration of others and the radical choice to extend peace. 
our desire to extend God's shalom in the world opens up your capacity, my capacity, to encounter and enjoy God. It opens up our capacity to enjoy God. Now, why does it do that? How does it do that? Well, when I mention the name Rick Warren, probably just about everybody in this room knows who Rick Warren is. He just retired as the, as the lead pastor of Saddleback Community Church in Southern California. And you know that he wrote the book, The Purpose Driven Life. It is one of the best-selling books, publishing books of all time. It was translated into 137 languages. And it, and it sold over 50 million copies. Well, he teaches us something about why adoration is directly connected to our efforts and the radical choice to extend peace. The very first sentences of chapter 1 say this. It's not about you. Could you say that with me? It's not about you. You can point right at me when you want to say that if you want. Right? I might just point back. <laughs> right? It's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born for His purpose, and for, you were born by His purpose and for His purpose. And I think that sums up the power of choosing peace. The wholeness of God desires for, that he desires for us does not begin with us. And the wholeness that God desires for the world does not begin with us, but must find transport through us because it's not about us. Paul wrote in Romans 15, as we read, each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up, for even Christ did not please himself. That sounds great. Sounds great. It's hard. One of the gentle souls in our church, Richard Douglas, was walking out of church last Sunday. And he reminded me of some people who demonstrated peace. And I said to him, you know, Richard, I think you just helped me write my sermon for next week. But they did it in such a way that many were uncomfortable with their peace-rooted actions. Sixteen years ago, Charlie Roberts barricaded himself in a little one-room schoolhouse in Amish country and opened fire. He shot ten children. He killed five of them. And then he took his life. You know the story. The Amish responded in a way that many found surprising and some people criticized. They forgave the shooter, Charlie Roberts. My brother-in-law sent me an article just from yesterday from Pastor Tim Keller from the New York Times that was powerful, that used and talked about the Amish. And he said this, Researchers found Americans are committed to self-assertion 
believing the interests and needs of the individual come before those of the family, the community, or God. The Amish, by contrast, have as one of their core values self-renunciation. It's not about you. With forgiveness being one form of self-renunciation. The authors of that research concluded that our culture of expressive individualism is one that nourishes revenge and mocks grace and will not produce agents of forgiveness and reconciliation. Tim Keller. You want to know how powerful that self-renunciation leading to peace is? Well, Terry Roberts was Charlie Roberts' mother. She pulled into her son's home when she heard something was going on and there was a state trooper and her husband and she got out of the car and imagine this, her husband looked at her and said, it was Charlie. Charlie did this. And then he said to his wife, I will never be able to face my Amish neighbors again. That week the Roberts held a private funeral away from the public eye, not wanting anyone to see, and out of the woodwork, so to speak, from the sides of the cemetery, they were by themselves. About 40 Amish came and encircled them like a half circle. Charlie's mother said love just emanated from them. Charlie's widow Marie was left a single mom with three children. The Amish took up offerings for her. Christmas, following that tragedy, two months later, and for many years after this, every Christmas, a bus of Amish carolers would show up in that driveway of Chuck and Terry Roberts, and they would sing Christmas carols to the Roberts family. And as the Amish reached out to the Roberts family, healing happened. Listen to his mother, Charlie Roberts' mother. If they're forgiving my son, do I forgive my son? I was so angry with what he had done, and yet the realization that if I chose not to forgive him, I would have the same hole in my heart that he had. It is not automatic or without pain when we forgive. It doesn't stop. The Amish brought peace. Terry Roberts, mother of the shooter, went on to care for one of the girls who survived, named Rosanna. She was left wheelchair-bound, fed by a tube, still is. But knowing that this is not the life that that girl would want to live, Terry Roberts began reading to her, bathing her, and drying her hair once a week. The widow Marie, she got remarried. And her new husband Don and her adopted a special needs child who was from Africa, who was also, like her children, left fatherless. Why? Because of the healing balm of actual peace. I don't think the Amish said, 
oh, we feel like forgiving. I don't think they said, these are the perfect conditions for us to feel like this. These are the perfect conditions for peace. But instead, the peace with God turned into being the peace of God. One of the fathers of one of the victims, 15 years later, last year, reflected back and said, what did we learn? He said this, I learned more about the grace of God than I can put into words. Our God is so great and big, we can't wrap our minds around how great God is. We have no power to forgive. It's all through the grace of God. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill toward men. That's what happened. The angel's proclamation from heaven happened. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men happened. Peace on earth, goodwill through men happened. Over the decades, there's been research on this whole idea of forgiveness and peace. And one study said this, over the past two decades, research has delivered high-quality evidence, not religious, by the way, high-quality evidence that forgiveness improves overall health and well-being, it down-regulates the body's stress response, and it improves cardiovascular outcomes. In other words, it contributes to shalom, to well-being. I think God has designed it that way, don't you? It empowers us to be His peace, not in our own power, but is in power, in His power. It empowers us. It, it, it doesn't empower us. It sets us free to be peace. And my friends... I know I'm going a little long today. Forgive me. I had to cut stuff out just because I just kept thinking about this world of ours. This world that, that you know this world. I know this world. It wars against shalom. It wars against it. The media wars against it. Social media wars against it. Governments war against it. Sometimes the church wars against it. Let's just be honest. And it wasn't any different during Bible days. That's why Paul even uses battle language for how God outfits us for living in such a world. Battle language. One of the things he says, and you can read the whole thing, you know these words probably. He says, stand firm then with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Do you see how powerful this is? Change that. Do you see how powerful you are? How powerful you are. My good friend Fleming Rutledge writes, 
You are a beachhead for God. He has cleared a portion of the enemy's territory and he has put you into it. You yourself are part of God's new creation. And she goes on to say that very rarely are we called upon to perform deeds that are so great and grand that we become legendary, but all of us, every single one of us is called to be the peace of God, to be part of the new creation of God. My friends, when you find peace with God, you take territory away from the enemy. Amen. Hear it. That's the world we're living in. What does the Scripture say? We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. There's not a human being on this world that is your prime enemy. Nor mine. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And every time that someone finds peace with God, a piece of the enemy's territory is taken away. And a beachhead is set up for the Prince of Peace to bring his conquering grace and love to others. We are all a beachhead for peace when Christ gains a beachhead in our hearts. And that is all why peace is such a radical choice. This is the word of the Lord for us today. What is it today that the Holy Spirit says to you? Our worship team is going to come. Is there a more true response to this word today than the message that this table offers us? This table of this feast of grace that is set reminds us that Jesus came to usher in God's true peace in us, then through us in the power of the Spirit. Do you know Jesus came as our rescue? Praise God. Jesus is my rescue. Say that with me. Jesus is my rescue. He came to rescue us from the battles in our hearts and to defeat the evils of the world through His sacrificial love in us and through us. He came to bring us peace.